Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hey, mamacita, welcome to the Mamas con Ganas podcast. That's mamas as in, hey, mama, y te traemos episodios para que tengas las ganas de motivarte, surgir y triunfar. Don't be a mama con drama. Let's be mamas con ganas. I'm your host, Valentina Izara. On this episode of the Mamas con Ganas podcast, I'm interviewing Claudia de Llano, author of The Seven Destinies of Love, a step-by-step journey to awakening the heart, and also licensed family and marriage therapist. Thank you so much, Claudia, for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to dive into a conversation about love with you here today. Amen. Oh my goodness. This conversation, Mamacitas, has been a long time coming. Claudia and I have been communicating. I've read her book and we've wanted to feature her on the podcast, but we're finally here all in divine timing. I feel like to end the year, the last episode of the year 2023, talking about love, because this is what her book is, I feel is a blessing. So before we dive into your beautiful spiritual book, can you please let us know a little bit, tell us about your background, where you were born, where you were raised? Okay. Well, I was born in Los Angeles, California, um, but was back and forth between Los Angeles and Argentina, where my Uh, family is from uh, originally and uh, emigrated to the U.S. So uh, Spanish was definitely my first language. And um, I I grew up the rest of the time around, we're going to say four on uh, learning English and uh, adapting to the American way of life. So uh, from there, that's my background. And Um, I'm a marriage and family therapist. I studied psychology. I teach psychology at university. And um, I've lived around the world studying healing modalities. And those healing modalities have led me to write a few books, some are forthcoming, just trying to um, create a bigger and larger dialogue about the things that I think bring us more harmony, more peace, and uh, more healing in, in this world, in our lives. Amazing. And Claudia has a very interesting story because she's very international. You lived outside the U.S. now. You just came back to, be, you know, to live in the United States right now recently. But you were living in Asia. When we first were talking, you were living in Asia. Tell them briefly about how many countries you lived and where you sort of hopped around, because I find it very interesting. Yeah. About uh, 10 years ago, I was really happy. I really just made a breakthrough in shifting careers Uh, as a clinician, and um, I was teaching university full time, uh, really made my perfect uh, American bubble, you know, the immigrant child who had really, uh, I think, made uh, the family proud, so to speak. And um, as it turns out, my husband says to me one day, uh, what do you think of transferring to Australia for two years? And my gut reaction was, yes, let's do it. And then I sort of went into that panic of, 
I don't want to blow things up, but I do believe that the universe really offers us amazing uh, doorways to grow. And off I went, lived in Australia for three years, a little bit more than Hong Kong for two, Beijing for two, and Singapore for three and a half. We just returned uh, less than six months ago and um, are happy to be back home uh, near our friends and families in the U.S. That's beautiful. Having like grown up in, and I was telling you that I grew up also like sort of traveling every couple of years and moving back and forth, like internationally, we get a very interesting perspective of life. What was like your biggest, I guess, gift that was given to you by this experience? Has there been something that you've pinpointed as, wow, this is something that I didn't know before I had this international experience and this I know, or, oh, I wish I could share like what this has been with other people or what it feels like to like live with so so many different cultures. Is there like a takeaway or something that you can tell us? Sure. I think my biggest takeaway, my biggest gift, I should say, um, is the people. Bottom line, it's, it's the amazing people that I met in every walk of every country, some close friends, some that you meet very briefly, um, just so many wonderful hearts that open their lives up to the fact that you're away out of your comfort zone and somehow still in the day. So I would say that that was the biggest gift, but the biggest takeaway for me um, was that growing up in the U.S. educationally, I was offered a socio-political view of our country and um, diversity and inclusion and equity and these things that we're talking about, which are very, very important to our culture. But, and I I taught those subjects. It was something I was very passionate about, especially being bicultural. But stepping into these other countries and then actually becoming the immigrant and being the immigrant that my parents were when they uh, moved to the U.S., I had a very different perspective than the one I learned in the psychology books or even taught in the courses, firsthand experience. And what I learned was that people are not their political systems. People are people everywhere you go in the world. And they are loving. They can be extremely inclusive. Um, They are diverse. But within the diversity, there is a humanity, a commonality that makes us all part of one world. And that's just what we call Earth, if that were a country. So people are people everywhere you go. And I see myself and I see the world um, more holistically than I did before I left. That's beautiful. Now, so so I can imagine or um, maybe I'm assuming that your experiences were exactly what led you to write The Seven Destinies of Love. Because you say that the message that you're actually saying is that at the at the very essence of who we are, the, basically that the only thing that exists is love. And that's the message that I'm hearing from the experience that you had living abroad and meeting many different types of people. Well, love is my language. So it's definitely the word that I use um, in terms of that that essence that that really uh, not only defines who we are, but connects uh, who we are um, as people, as living beings. Uh, But the inspiration really came through my therapeutic work. A client once asked me, 
how many types of love are there, Claudia? And I remember very on the spot saying, one, two, three. Oh, yes, yeah, seven. And I and I, it was something very instinctual. It's not something that we study in psychology books. It's very limited. There was a man, Eric Fromm. Uh, you know, we're talking, I think, uh, mid 19, you know, 1950s, somewhere around there. We don't have a lot of females that have written in the field of psychology about how we can develop as human beings. We're given one model of love, and that is how we love our partners. So we love romance, right? We see it in our movies. We see it in our books. We, you know, we, we love family drama. We see it in our dramas. We see it in our plays. Um, but I started to see love through my travels. You're absolutely right. As a much bigger entity, I started to actually seeing it as a living, breathing force of life that connected us all across the board. So that did lead onto this next level of connection. And um, I started experiencing through meeting very, very many different people and studying many different modalities, sometimes coincidentally, it wasn't always planned. Um, and, and yes, the stages of love from the time we are born until the time we die, we're born. Now, tell us a little bit about your like spiritual awakening, because you write, you tell in the book that you were sort of given the freedom in your upbringing to choose what you wanted to believe, that you weren't um, forced to believe a specific doctrine or not. So if you grew up not being told this is what you should believe, where did you like, what was the moment where you stepped into, uh, I guess, a spiritual space and said, wow, there's something more to life than just meets the eye? Mm. It's interesting, you know, my my father, I would ask him, what what are we? What am I? I really wanted to understand religiously um, where my connection was because all of my friends had that growing up. And I found it confusing uh, to not really be able to know which camp I belonged to. Um, but his mother had passed on to him. So my father was born in 1938. So um, I'm not exactly sure how many years before that his mother was born. So you can imagine that she was a very modernized woman. She said, those beliefs belong to you. And when you are of agency, so as an adult, um, that's something very private that belongs to you that you get to discover. And he passed that teaching on to me. So I was able to do very many different things. I worked in a Jewish temple in my teens. Um, I went to my cousin's uh, Catholic summer camp. Um, at 14, I did have a very uh, intense experience. A friend of mine, uh, her father, I think was a Taoist uh, minister, and we went to Buddhist summer camp. And that was my very first time. I believe I was 14 years old, uh, just experiencing sitting in front of someone, having an exchange of meditational energy. And um, it it was it sparked something uh, within me that reminded me of birth of of just that's what I must have felt like when I was born just this intense immense sense of connection and um, and that went dormant I went on through my teens and somewhere around my early twenties I started to read. Uh, a lot of the models from the 1960s, um, Carlos Castaneda, um, uh, Ram Das, just many different, uh, Scott Peck, 
many different authors who wrote about spirituality. But the interesting thing is I couldn't understand any of them. I would read them, but I couldn't understand. I, I intellectually wasn't there, emotionally, spiritually wasn't there, but I trusted there, there was something I was feeling through their words, even if it wasn't making sense to me. And um, I followed that. I continued to follow that. And uh, as a therapist, I started teaching um, mindfulness and meditation because only about 10 years ago did that break into the field when we started studying neuroscience and looking at the minds of monks and doing all of that. Did psychology start in modern day readapting these very old techniques and you know modalities into our field i knew then and there that not only was this the future of psychology this was the integration of psychology and it was the language that made sense to me so i pursued in the following countries people who could teach me about these modalities but i didn't want to meet people who had backgrounds in psychology i wanted to meet healers who were healers and uh, by nature from birth, uh, from their birthright. And um, they helped a lot of that awakening to come through. Um, and it was just, yeah, I have stories for days. Wow. <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, it's, you, first of all, you touch about, you know, something that I find completely fascinating right now, which is the, mer the merging of finally, right? Yes. The merging of that which we can't really explain in science. Like science is finally catching up <laughs> to the fact that that which we used to call woo-woo is now, there's actually scientific stuff behind it. And I love that. All the books on quantum science now are basically just sort of like stepping into and, and concluding and sort of, how would I say, they are giving a, a backing to all the stuff that we used to say was just um out there right things that we can't we couldn't prove scientifically and i love how those two worlds are are merging now you mentioned the modalities that you were um learning that you started coming across could you tell us a little bit about like some of the different healing modalities that you've studied sure so one of the most interesting ones for me um was very intuitive. Uh, I, when I moved to Australia, I wanted to meet somebody, I wanted to further my meditational studies and I wanted to meet somebody who taught meditation. And that was sort of an odd thing because they were mostly religiously affiliated. And I, I was looking for someone who had been born this way. And, um, the, the chemist, as they call it, for us, that would be the pharmacist, kept telling me to please go to this yoga class. And um, and I did yoga. I started yoga long before it was yoga here in LA. And um, I said, I'm not looking for a yoga teacher. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, you need to meet her. And uh, she insisted you need to meet her. And like you and I, we had a lot of back and forth for maybe about three months. She was in Hawaii while I was in Australia, even though she's Australian born. And I met her. And um, I think by the second time I took her yoga class, I said to her, you know, I have this daughter who's extremely awakened and asks me these questions that I don't know how to answer. And what she said is, uh, do not give her labels. Do not give her names for her experiences. My child was two. So, and extremely verbal. And she said, ask her just to explain to you. So she never gave me any kind of, of 
guidance. This is called this. A ritual should look like that. It was always a, an open learning. And in therapy, I had um, worked on several things in my own personal life. And there was a particular uh, thing that I really wanted to address that no therapist had really been able to help me unlock. So I said to her, I don't know what you do, but I get a feeling it's not really just yoga. Uh, don't explain it to me. Just do it. And um, she said, sure. So I lay down on a floor and closed my eyes. And she began to really guide me very deeply in what some people might affiliate as sort of a, shim a shamanic uh, healing and uh, really took me to the source. She had only asked me one question, took me to the source of what I had been trying to work out therapeutically for years and unlocked it. So from there, I, I had a huge awakening, a really big awakening. And I said, teach me everything you know. And, and she said, well, maybe we can do you know, some kind of a trade. I'm so interested in what you know psychologically. And um, I said, let me learn from you first so that I don't label or mar anything that you know, because it was so pure. And I did, I studied with her and she is my, my dearest, closest friend. I mean, from Australia, I've been gone more than seven years. And I would say that we speak almost every day via text, long chains, deep, deep connection, deep healing. And um, she was my first, I would say, official teacher of um, a way that she was born naturally learning to do that shifted the way I will look at psychology for the rest of my life and the way I work with people. Wow. That's really interesting. It reminds me of the part in the book where you talk about how as therapists, one of the things that you kind of strive to do is to be a blank slate for, for your client and how in, in creating a, a blank, a blank slate for them, they end up finding themselves in you. And I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but when you say that you didn't want to give any of the things that she was doing labels, it reminded me of that sort of like leaving space. And because sometimes, we, you know, we attach so much, um, we put our perspective in something that's happening and we label it as something as bad or wrong or, you know, this is this. And, and what sometimes what we don't allow is sort of like an expansion where it could be something way more than we even allow it to, because immediately we just want to label it as something. We like to have words and names in order to fit our minds around what we understand. And it's really uncomfortable for most people to remove the fact that you can't name it, the fact that you can't know it, the fact that you can't define it. That is the angst of our human nature. We fight death. We don't even like saying the word. We say, we think if we say a word, we will invoke it. And, you know, we, we, we're afraid. Instead, when we release language, the only thing we have left is, is our heart. It's our feeling. And that's, that's a language that, that feels that isn't necessarily connected to our verbal way of conceiving the world. So the more we polish letting go of that, it our slate does, it becomes cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. We let go of the intellect, ego, and knowing. And 
intellect matters in this world. Our ego matters in this world. Um, it helps us function. But there's also a place in our lives and our development where we can dissolve it and simply step into existence. And that's where our real deep compassion and connection to each other exists. It's where we are all equal. Yes. And I love how you say that. Yeah, it's sort of like what we're very uncomfortable with as humans is not being able to pinpoint and sort of label something. And I feel like that's basically where all our discord starts, even when it comes to to politics or things that we disagree with that are happening. It's sort of like we want to label everything as something because we don't like to deal with cognitive dissonance, like two perhaps, um, you know, different thoughts that might collide with one another. And I agree, like when, when you remove the language, when you remove the labels, all of a sudden you're left with something more expansive. And, you know, when our, our hearts expand, that's exactly when we feel love. And that's exactly where we can find sort of communion with other people. Whereas the more we reduce things to separateness, <laughs> the more we start arguing with people and the more we have the feeling like we need to, you know, make sure that our point of view is heard. And I think it's such a vital thing, like connecting, because right now I feel like a lot of people have a hard time connecting with, um, with other human beings at, in many levels, because it's like, we almost have this need as human beings to know something. And if we know yeah. something and it's certain, then we can feel secure. Yes. And I feel like what you're saying is almost like if we just actually dissipate all that and remove all that, then we can expand and we, you know, we feel love. And I know it sounds very like the language that I'm using, but um, I don't know if it's making any sense what I'm saying, but. Uh, sense. Look, it's making, I, I came home to a very divided country and and instead of seeing the division, what I what I experience is I can sit with anybody on any side of whatever that political fence looks like. And I can tune into their experience, why they feel the way they do so passionately. And why knowing what they know that forms their opinion gives them a sense of security in their lives. I don't. Uh, disrespect that. I respect that. And, and I can listen to both and connect to both and sometimes third and fourth, you know, ideas that are out there as well. Um, because what I understand is that when we identify with our values, our ways of knowing, we really identify with who we are. It gives us a sense of I am. And when we have to let go of that, in order to step into someone else's truth or someone else's reality, it shakes our very foundation. So we don't want to let go of that. It shakes that security that tells us, I know that everything I've lived equals where I am today. But there's a higher plane beyond that. There's a higher plane where those truths meld, where they come into a certain I think agreement and existence, and there's so much opportunity there uh, for us to continue to grow and integrate as a country and as people um, by embracing the experience rather than resisting the other person's beliefs and points of view.
Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. 100%. I love the way you said that. I loved how you explained it because I, I also feel that it's really interesting. I, I can sit with any person on the different, you know, ends and like really understand why they feel the way they feel. And I just wish sometimes like, you know, that I could explain to them or, or people that have a hard time sitting with that, with people that have opposing views is that when you can sit in the unknown or in the uncertainty, you actually find more security than when you're just trying to put your, I guess your stake in the ground and say, it's here and it's here and it's here. And when you allow it to, to sort of be moved for somebody to just move it for a second and show you their point of view, I think we can learn from other people. And I think we expand and love. And I think that um, we can find a unification in that when we start listening to one another. Because I think one of, one of the things that's also happening right now is that people just don't, are no longer willing to listen and to be uncomfortable and to uh, doubt themselves or to, you know, to, to give themselves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, so I think that's really beautiful what you shared. Thank you. Thank you very much. Claudia, you know, for those who haven't read your book, give us a little bit about the, tell us a little bit about this very briefly about the different types of love that there are. Because like you said, most of us grew up thinking, okay, there's like the romantic love and maybe there is like the maternal love and, you know, the family love and the romantic love. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, briefly. So. I think that that we we were born as love, like just this amazing, glowing, rose gold, you know, pink emanating heart. If you if you need a visual for it, um, but I think that we are not taught because we live in such a such a thinking world that we are not taught that we can actually grow through the different stages. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote the stages of grief when she was working in hospice with people that were dying. And um, there's a big misinterpretation in the field of psychology and outside of it that she taught them as steps and that they were meant to be linear. What Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was trying to teach us was that we move in and out of these main themes in our lives, but it finally gave us a framework for experiencing grief without thinking that we were losing our minds. She yes. really taught us, oh, wow, I'm bargaining, or oh, wow, I'm angry, or oh, wow, I'm in acceptance. And, ah, oh, that's normal to learning about how to grieve. And now I can go through that process. So I felt the same thing about love, because I found that in our culture as, as Latinas, um, we have all these words for love. You know, it's, it's te amo, te quiero, you know, like, um, you know, te idolatro, you know, there are all these different expressions for I really love you. And yes. um, in English, I found that it was more centralized to one word um, and yet was bigger. So I wrote about how we can grow through different types of love and stages of love. And the first one is soul love. And that's just the agreement between the mind and the body and the spirit that we are born with inherent wisdom. And that that wisdom puts us on a path of love. But if no one ever tells you that from the get-go, you just have no idea. So that was the first. And then it transfers into embodied love. And that's the idea that all things are alive. That the desk that I'm sitting at has a life. Because this life came from someone who constructed it. 
and it came from a tree that donated to it. And perhaps it even came from a factory. And there were so many people that worked in that factory to create this desk. So there's a whole life in that desk. And when I embody it as more than a desk, but as all the lives that made it possible for me to be in front of it, I will honor that object as I would any person as a sacred life. And when we begin to honor everything in our lives, we embody love. It's a very different a way of living. The next one is connected love. And those are the connections, the bonds that we have with our families, our friends, and our loved ones. And I think those come in in our lives as lessons to teach us about those human bonds that we need to work through in order to really become a lot more unconditional in our relationships and heal our hearts. Uh, then we have ancestral love. And this is one of my favorite stages to talk about. Um, because when we think of our ancestors, we think about the past. But I think of ancestry as not only the past, but the future. So we heal the pain, the suffering that we inherited, and we we bring in the lessons because we've inherited them, right? In our DNA. We can't just inherit uh triggers for disease we've probably inherited a uh, memory. So we bring in that ancestral connection and we heal the unfinished business. What I heal in myself today, I do for all the generations behind me, but here's what's amazing. I now also heal it for all the generations to come. It doesn't have to be my child. It can be anyone that I come into contact with. So we are healing into the future and that's a beautiful way to be present. Then I think we grow through into spiritual love. And that's our connection to the universe. It's what you and I were talking about earlier. The, un, the, the unknown, the intangible, the uh, nameless. And it's this idea that there is a life force beyond us. Many have names and there are so many names that I won't do one because I, I, won't, I don't want to isolate anyone because I think all paths um, are important and valuable and enriching in our lives. Uh, but that that spiritual journey helps us go into the truths that are beyond the ones we know. Then we move into awakening, the awakening love. And that's the conscious journey of uh, self-actualization. And I call that the voice of the heart, really realizing the voice of the heart. And finally, uh, amaranthine love. And it's becoming the infinite, immutable essence of love that we are infinitely. And I wrote a note to myself so I wouldn't forget to share it with you. And I said, rather than be seen by the mind, we become the seer of the heart. And that's the, the amaranthine lover. Uh, it's not a goal. We are all the amaranthine lover. It's just that when we learn to talk through and have a a lesson, a dialogue, a way of learning all the different ways in which we are love and can love, I think it will help us reach that infinite stage uh, in a present way. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Like, and there's so many, you know, you talk a lot about forgiveness too in the book and the importance of like, of why you coming back to love when you forgive. A lot of people have a hard time letting 
their past go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I found also like when you were talking about that, I was like, well, yes, yes, yes. It's sort of like a coming back to love because you're sort of able to release things that maybe you held you back from in, in chains, right? We unchain ourselves when we're able to forgive ourselves, when you're able to forgive ourselves and forgive others and the past. And it's sort of tied again, then to the ancestral love. They sort of all have this common thread. And you also talk about how sometimes you know, it's not linear. It's sort of, we go into one and then we start learning about something else and our, and our life sort of leads us to discover if we're open. I feel like that's the, that's the one thing. I feel like this is the journey. We all go through the journey back to love when we open our hearts to exploring that and to letting that in into our experience and to learn from our experiences, right? There's a beautiful ancient uh, healing modality called Ho'oponopono. And it really looks back at the ways in which our ancestral healing can be applied. And um, it's, it's, it, there's a beautiful mantra. It's thank you. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I love you. And the idea that if we are constantly in communication with that, what are the ways in which I stood in your way? Or what are the ways in which I am? My reality today is holding you back. You're really ultimately not only healing what the energy that you brought forth, but yourself. And we were talking about how to clean that slate. That, that's how you're cleaning that slate because any feelings that we hold, hold towards someone else, those are projections of our minds that we have in our interior and that they're experiences that, that we cross they're real, but the frequency that they leave in us is what hurts us. And that's what we want to polish. That's the slate we want to clean. Yes. And that, and that meditation is really beautiful. You can actually find it like for any of those who are like, what is that? Med There's like, and I always say that, is it Ho'opono? How do you say it again? I always say it wrong. <laughs> Ho'oponopono. Yeah. Ho'oponopono. You can look it up online. And I sometimes listen to it. We actually, my husband and I came across that when we did some self-improvement workshop. So it's, it is really beautiful because like you said, it's sort of like a, a clearing, right? Like a resetting. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then I just want to go briefly back into the awakening love, because I feel that I have a sense when you were talking about it right now, that the person who might be listening to us is sort of, you know, I think part of the, when anybody's interested in this type of content, um, the content of self-improvement, we're on the path of an awakening love of like sort of reconnecting ourselves to our purpose and to our heart. And a lot of us lead lives sometimes where we're wanting to please others or where we live our lives according to what we think others want us to do. And we don't really do the check-in with ourselves. Mm -hmm. What what advice would you give to somebody who's like having that longing for like, yes, I want to step into like my authenticity. I want to step into living a life that's more like heart led. What mm. would you what would you say um, they could do in order to be able to reconnect themselves to that awakening love that you were talking about? You know, I think it's really a process um, of time and really reconciling a lot of your life story, learning what your life story is, 
and um, and the effect that it has on your heart and the way that you perceive uh, living the life that you want to live. So uh, awakening is is there for all of us, but our subconscious takes us into sleep. And sleep for me is being in auto mode. So if you're a single mother who is working and trying to float, um, uh, making ends meet for your family and has a million other things, that's the person that I, I want to talk to who says, how am I going to find time for awakening? And the reality is, is, is if you are that mother, you are completely and totally awake because everything you are doing is in the service of making it through your day, uh, feeding yourself, your child. We think of awakening as this destiny, as this goal, as this thing that we're going to get to, but the destiny is in front of us. It's rolling out in a movie, in a story, and we judge that story and we say, this isn't the one that I wanted. This isn't the one I want to be living. But if instead you realize this is the one that I'm living, it awakens you and it offers you two ways to show up, fully a present for it, coming through it and loving yourself nurturingly through it the way you would a child. What would you say to a hungry child? What would you say to a crying child? That's not what we say to ourselves. What we say to ourselves is, I got to get through this. I got to get through this. You know, I, I really wish it weren't this way. I don't want to deal with this. Instead, if we lovingly allowed ourselves to say, hey, mama, you are doing so much today. You woke up today. You showed up for work today. You made a meal today. You packed a lunch today. That's that's the person that I want to say, look how awake you are. There is no bigger love than that. And talk to her. And then when you talk to her, you can say to her, you know what? I did a pretty good job today. I did the best I could. Not perfect, not great, good enough. And I'm going to love you for good enough. That's I love, the awakening. I love that. I love that because I think, like you said, a lot of people feel like it's something outside of themselves or they live a life where like, this is not where, you know, this is not what I wanted or this is not. And they, because you mentioned something in the beginning, how you, how you were learning your spiritual lessons through the therapy. And I find it very interesting because I I find that we're all getting our spiritual messages through exactly what we're doing. Like I, it's yes. funny. I always, I used to tell my husband and he thinks I'm kind of funny with this, but I always tell him like my biggest spiritual lessons, I think I've been through the dance floor. Oh like yes. when, I'm, when I'm learning how to dance, I get like, but like messages, like even just like breathe. I, I and I'm and I'm reminded to breathe, which is interesting, right? Because everything comes down back to the breath. And when you learn meditation, you start learning how to breathe. And it's interesting that when I go into dance class and I get nervous and I panic about a, uh, you know, how do you say a, a choreography? The first thing I do is stop breathing. Yes. And and that's just one of them. But I feel like whatever it is that we're doing. If we just open our eyes to receiving those spiritual messages, like it's exactly where we're supposed to be and we'll get the messages that we're supposed yeah. to be getting. Yes. It's difficult because, you know, when I think of dance, um, I think dance is such a sub, it's such an immediate tap into the subconscious, a complete release um, and surrender. You know, it's, it's, 
la entrega complete into the dance. And, and it's such a beautiful metaphor, but I think, it, I think it's a direct channel, to be honest with you, to heart. So I'm, I'm not surprised um, that, that that's where you find that meditational journey, that authentic connection. I think um, artists in general have access to that through their way of channeling their art. Um, but you don't have to be an artist, right? To, no, some... like you said, motherhood. Like that's a, yeah. that's a perfect example. Like when my child is, you know, upset or where I feel like I'm, the first question I ask myself is like, okay, what am I supposed to be learning from this? I know I'm supposed to, there's something here <laughs> that I'm supposed to be, you know, uh, leaning into and learning yeah. from. Because a lot of times when we go through uncomfortable situations, our first impulse is to like push that away. But then, you know, you have that um, saying that says, you know, what you, what resists, what you resist persists. Yes, yes, yes. But here's the thing. We don't always have to know what the lesson is. That's the thing is the surrender is in saying, I really don't know where this is going universe, but I trust, I trust that this is the perfect le lesson because this is where I am. So we don't always have to know exactly how it's going to turn out. So before I, I moved back here, I had a vision and, and maybe this vision will still unfold. But the vision was that I, I really want to open a more holistic type of, of therapeutic healing center where the modality isn't just talk therapy, where people can come in for Reiki or um, I do a lot of guided meditation, uh, taking people through journeys in order to access that subconscious in a very positive and healing way. and. Um, I wanted to have a little area that people walked into where they could see all of the amazing spiritual items. I'm looking over there like I can see the items um, that I came across in my travels. Just amazing things. Some were uh, singing bowls or some were just fabrics. There were these beautiful, inspiring things that I felt bringing back would help someone walk in and feel very much at peace and ready to journey. So I started buying all of this merchandise and uh, people kept asking me like, are you sure you're gonna do it? Where's it gonna be? You know, what's the rent? People get really caught up in the outcome, the limitations. I just knew I had a vision. And um, I decided to buy the merchandise anyway. And that hasn't yet unfolded, but it turns out that since I was about 18 years old, I always wanted to open up an antique booth. I really do a lot with um, uh, decorating and um, and bringing in very old things. Uh, the things that I have in my home, and you know now there's a lot of them, but I want each and every item to have some kind of sacred meaning. Otherwise, it's good for someone else. And those worlds are merging. I knew uh, an antique dealer for over 25 years. And my dream was to have a booth and it's very hard in LA to get in, to get a spot in there. And I just decided I'm going to do it. I'm just going to walk in and I'm going to ask. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And now I've signed a, a contract <laughs> to open That's up, amazing. Yes, to open up my first, you know, antique booth. And of course I will bring in these amazing spiritual items that I've collected from around the world. Does that equal a healing center? No. We don't always know the outcome, but we really have to follow our passion, follow our heart, 
because the doors are going to open constantly and reveal to us what the world looks like behind that door. And, you know, I wrote about this in the book, but as, you know, Paul Coelho tells us, uh, you know, we are the soul of the world. So the soul will consistently show you how you are in it. Um, it's not a, it's not a movie. It's not a beginning, middle and end. I think it's bigger and it's more continuous and it's more radiant. Wow. I love that. Beautiful. And congratulations. I, when I go to LA, I'm going to visit you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you there. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Claudia, thank you so much. Tell everybody where, where we can, well, first of all, if you have any comments or questions about this episode, go to mamasconganaspodcast.com forward slash 213, mamasconganaspodcast.com forward slash 213. And just briefly tell us also your links and where people can reach you if they wanted to get in touch with you. You bet. Um, first, I want to say thank you to you, Valentina, and uh, to all of your listeners. Um, I I love listening to you. And I got a chance to tell you this, but to all the listeners, uh, if you could just tune into this, um, I'll say it in Spanish because it's, it's what's born from my heart. Valentina tiene un corazón muy especial y muy grande y tiene mucho que dar al mundo. And um, I'm just saying that she has a very special heart and um, she has a lot to give to this world. And I find it a privilege to get to share in this energy and share in communicating and sharing your message and this message of love today, um, hoping that we touch somebody's heart and that together we continue uh, to empower Latinas, las mamas con ganas, there are so many of us who are just thriving in this world. And I thank you for giving us a voice. Thank you. Ditto. You know, it's a privilege to interview you. And these are, this is what I love to do is share these messages of hope, of faith, of love. And, uh, you know, when I come across women like you, it just lights me up because I'm like, yes, one more that I get to like share the story of because I'm in awe of all the women that are doing amazing things like yourself and writing the kind of books that I like to read and sharing the messages that I wish everybody would come across so that this that because that would make the world I know a better a better place. Absolutely. Thank you. So, so where can they get a hold of you if they wanted to reach you? Okay. My website is www.theawakenedjourney.com. Alternatively, you can just find me at uh, Claudia De Llano. That's C-L-A-U-D-I-A-D-E-L-L-A-N-O at yahoo.com. Wonderful. And Mamacita, before we let you go, you know, Claudia is the last guest of this 2023 year, and I wanted to personally tell all my listeners, thank you for being a part of this community. I wish you a very happy holidays and a happy new year. I hope that your next year is filled with love, abundance, and all the good things that you desire, and that, um, that we can keep on, let's say, being united as women, because I, I really do feel, I know that I've said this before on the podcast, but I had heard that the Dalai Lama said that the that the salvation of the world will is like lying in, in um, how you say is relying on the Western woman, and Ooh. I think that's true. I think women, when we rise up 
and we work together, we can make this world a better place. And I know that there's a lot of, uh, of places in the world that are suffering right now where I'm sending a lot of prayer and light to constantly. And I believe it's also, it's our responsibility to really like, you know, give a better future for our children. I don't know if you wanted to add something there for the new year, Claudia. Yes, Feliz Año Nuevo, Happy New Year. Uh, my wishes for you in your personal lives are that you truly open and become the seer of your own heart, emit that energy inward, heal every pain, every sorrow, every story that is within you, and share that love to all those out there. We send a special wish for all the countries, for all the people needing peace, needing food, needing shelter, and needing healing. A enormous message of amor, of love, and blessings. Thank you for a wonderful, wonderful interview and wishes for a happy 2024. Happy 2024, mamacita. Las quiero mucho. Besitos. It's Valentina. Espero te gustó este episodio de nuestro podcast. If you liked it, or if any of our content has inspired you in any way, I'd be ever so grateful if you showed some amorcito by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Every single review will help us reach more mamacitas so they can live their life con muchas ganas. It's because of you, our listeners, that we're able to create contenido para otras Latinas. Un millón de gracias por suscribirte, escuchar y compartir nuestro podcast. Si tienen preguntas, comentarios y más, pueden visitar nuestra página web mamasconganas.com or follow us on social media at mamasconganas. You can also write me directly at info at mamasconganas.com. Hasta la próxima. Es Valentina recordándote, don't be a mama con drama. Mm -mm. Let's be mamas con ganas. Besitos.